Bienvenido, bienvenue, and welcome to Samaritan Conversations. In Luke's account of an event over 2,000 years ago, there's a story of a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho who was attacked by bandits. The priest saw the attacked person and opted to pass the other way. A Levite, a religious leader, also opted to pass the way. According to Luke's version, a certain Samaritan, someone outside of the religious establishment who was marginalized, stopped and helped. Samaritan Conversations is a podcast focused on community and business leaders who live as that certain Samaritan, that good Samaritan. Welcome to the show today, James Pitts of Kellogg Partners. It's a pleasure to have you, James. Well, hey, Sam and Samuel. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. Well, James, just to kick it off, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and Kellogg Partners, and then we'll um, Samuel and I will do our best to ask some questions and keep the conversation going. Okay. Uh, originally born in a foreign country uh, called Texas. Uh, grew, up, <laughs> grew up in uh, West Texas, um, uh, attended, um, played sports, attended Te- Texas A&M University where I studied electrical engineering. Um, then I uh, actually was a walk-on on the basketball team and uh, played basketball there. Uh, graduated, moved to Austin, worked as an engineer for about five years, and then decided that I need to go into the witness protection program and uh, get away from engineering and either get an MBA and or a law degree. So I uh, chose to get my MBA in finance from Kellogg at Northwestern University. Uh, great, great experience. Um, graduated in 95. Uh, and I moved here to Atlanta as an executive with uh, Sheridan Hotels in their franchise division. Um, three years later, uh, uh, Starwood bought us out as a uh, um, takeover, a friendly takeover. I took the golden parachute and got into uh, real estate. Uh, started buying houses and apartments, got bit by the real estate bug. And a buddy of mine from Kellogg invited me to go work at Jones Lang LaSalle. And I went there and fell in love with commercial real estate, which is what I Kellogg Partners does. And I've done that for about uh, 20 years and um, worked with uh, uh, anywhere from Fortune 500 to startups. And we actually do a lot of work with uh, uh, inbound foreign companies for Georgia Economic Development. Uh, along the way, I married my best friend whom I have known for 37, going on 38 years. We have two boys. One is uh, attending Texas A&M University as a freshman in business. Uh, just dropped him off uh, last week. And the other son is trying to figure out what he does next. We have two rescue dogs that I run with uh, five days a week. And um, I'm also a recovering uh, retired soccer coach and. Uh, I'm also uh, uh, the guy who teaches Sam how soccer, how the game of soccer is played. So, oh man, recorded in all posterity, Sam. Oh man. Well, I will, since I'm a gracious host, I will let that slide, and I might come back to that. But uh, you know, I was edit that out. 
<laughs> you know, I uh, all right. You know, I, this is you see, James has come to my coach to coach sessions on how the there game should be played. No, but, <laughs> but well, actually, um, since you brought that up, why don't you talk a little bit about your how you got into the soccer coaching? Because I think that's really a great example of part of your um, being a good Samaritan, if you will. Got it. Thank you. Um, so growing up in West Texas, there was um, uh, we I grew up 20 miles away from Friday Night Lights, uh, which was Odessa Permian. That was our mojo was our big uh, competitor. So there was football, uh, football, football, and then baseball and basketball came and track came after that. So that was sort of the pecking order of, of West Texas. And um Soccer, would, I, I don't even think there was soccer in West Texas when I grew up. So I, I didn't grow up playing soccer, uh, did everything else but soccer. So um, 13, 14 years ago now, my wife put our oldest son in the soccer. And I was like, why is he in soccer? What is that? And, um, well, he's little and he needs something to do. I, I wanted to put him into, a, uh, put him into the Y soccer. So um, even though she put him in, I was tasked with taking him to practice. And I showed up on the first day of practice uh, in second year and they, um, the coach quit. So I was the only dad at practice and they, and the moms were like, so you must be the new coach. I said, no, I'm not even, I don't even know this kid. I'm just dropping him off. You know, <laughs> I said, I'll be back to pick his parents will be back to pick him up. I'm not the coach. And so long story short, I got drafted into being the coach. And what they said, well, just be the temporary coach until we get one. I ended up being the coach the whole season. Um, the team was horrible because the coach was horrible. So we lost every game but one. I think we tied it. And it was, you would have thought we won the World Cup. You know, I think I was crying and, kissing <laughs> you know, and, and it was just horrible uh, because I didn't understand anything about the game. I didn't know the rules, didn't know anything about strategy. Um, it was really, really bad. But what happened was I fell in love with uh, the kids and, um, you know, just great kids, you know, big hearts. And so I thought, wow, you know, I, I, I need to do better by these young men. And so I started to read about the game and watch other coaches and, and actually started to watch a little bit of soccer. And um, within, I think it was two or three seasons, we were undefeated. Um, we were just beating the pants off everybody, and uh, we actually moved up uh, to a higher age group, and we were still undefeated. So then the league like sequestered us with into a, a smaller league so that we would um, not beat everybody so bad. And then the state called me and said, uh, "By the way, you know you can't play in any more rec games because your players are too good. You're beating everybody too badly, so nobody wants to play you." you have to go into a travel team. And then what I responded was, is that my, my players who were mostly black Hispanic and lower income could barely afford rec. So how could we afford, you know, one to $2,000 a year for travel? And so I worked out a deal with um, our league that I could take them in the travel as a uh, volunteer coach. And basically I was also scholarshipping some of the guys and putting them on layaway. And um, so we started to play um, uh, travel, uh, travel soccer. We started at the very bottom. And every season but one, we moved up 
until last year when we retired. When I retired in my, in my last season, we were ranked uh, on one poll, fourth in Georgia, uh, fifth in the other poll. Um, I think that we had a really good chance on, until COVID hit to win the state championship and go to nationals. And the key story, and well, and I'll tell you about soccer, but I'll tell you what really it was all about. Uh, the key story in that was, is that for years, we had wanted to go to Disney, to the Disney soccer tournament, which is the biggest tournament in the country. Co teams from all over the world come and play there. College coaches galore, 300, 400 college coaches. And, been, and we had been told there's no way you'll get in. And actually, the year before, we applied and the director called up and said, I got teams from Italy and Spain coming. Why would we let you guys come? Like, you just aren't good enough. So we went to, we finally made it to Disney in, my, in our last season. My boys were U19 and um, we ended up winning our bracket. Uh, the first team we beat was the um, basically the, 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 the youth team of Syracuse University D1. They're coached by a D1 coach. And we ended up being the highest scoring U19s in the entire tournament. Um, we had scored 14 goals in four games with nine different players scoring. And at the end of it, uh, we ended up winning in the last, we were down 2-0 with 18 minutes to go, came back and won 4-3. So, so that was our last official game before COVID. That was our last game that we ever, you know, official game we ever played. And now most of my players are playing college, either in college or playing college soccer. So as a good Samaritan, what I realized was, was that um, a lot of these kids didn't have an opportunity because of uh, income. And so we were using soccer as a vehicle to take them and expose them to schools and college and, and talk to them about grades and college. And um, I think out of 20, uh, and some kids actually like uh, moved on to other teams, but at least they're still my players out of 23. I think I have 18 that are either in college or playing in college, or just in schools, like one's at Kennesaw studying mechanical engineering, and another one's at Oglethorpe studying econ, and some kids are actually just playing college soccer. So, you know, I had to start a nonprofit for that um, to fund it because we didn't have the money. Um, so we raised money to go and be able to play, and we were like the bad news bears, but really I was using soccer as a vehicle to raise exceptional uh, human beings and teach them about teamwork and about, you know, and about possibility. And so that's in a nutshell, my, my soccer experience. Yeah. I mean, that, that, when I first heard that story, obviously it's been a, f a few years since we met and talked about it. I just thought that was great because soccer is one of those games where you don't have to have of you don't have to be six feet six you don't have to have you know a certain hand size or wingspan you basically however you you come you can play the game I mean and obviously the greatest player of all time is a guy who's like five seven right so it's just you can be very small and still do great great things so yep um, I would agree. So, you know, it, and we had kids that were extremely talented, but no one would ever see them because they couldn't afford to be on those fields and in those tournaments. And when we were playing that Syracuse team, we had probably 13 coaches, college coaches on the sideline there to watch Syracuse. And we beat them 7-2. And it should have been 
And at halftime, one of the coaches came over and said, who are you guys? How come we've never seen you? And I was like, because we can't afford to be here. Um, you know, and when we got done, the, the D1 coach was like, I'm not even sure what just happened to me, man. He said, and I'd like to talk to some of your players. That was absolutely amazing. And, you know, and it was really about, um, you know, we, we were, we typically led the league. Uh, we were first to second every year in the offense, first to second in defense. And it was all about uh, that we were looking out for one another and that yep. it was all about teamwork. And, um, and the kids were unselfish and they were all friends and, and we had fun and we laughed and now they're all in college. So now my, my project now is, is, you know, I, I didn't, most coaches have two or three teams. I just had one team of kids. Some, some of those kids I had for eight or nine years, I was their only coach, but you know, we would um, just, you know, take these long, I pick them up at the McDonald's. I'd have seven guys in the, in the SUV and we would just talk about life. Um, actually one of my guys texted me around Christmas and he said, coach, you know, I wasn't even thinking about college. No one in my family has ever been to college. And he said, I just want to thank you because those long, you know, rides in your car talking about college and life, you know, he said, I'm in college now. I'm playing college soccer. I got a 4.0 this semester, my first semester, and I'm on the president's, you know, the Dean's list. And he was like, you know, you just really changed my life coach. And, and I was just like, just do that for somebody else. You know, when when you guys, when you guys get older, do that for somebody else. And so I actually ended up um, coaching. Most coaches get paid. And I actually, it cost me probably two grand a year to be a coach because I was paying for everything out of my pocket and helping kids out and subsidizing them. But now we're out. And I've retired, which I'm I'm having withdrawals from it. Um, uh, and I got to get my spreadsheet done because I'm trying to track twenty some guys, and just make sure that you know, okay, like I got one kid that wants to transfer her from one college to another college so he can play, and I got to find some coaches to talk to, and I got you know kids that want to change majors, and so I'm I'm actually helping two kids with their resumes right now. One kid actually one kid's at Georgia Tech studying um, mechanical engineering. So I'm trying to get him a summer internship, um, trying to get the other kid, uh, the econ guy at Oglethorpe, uh, a summer internship. And I just worked on their resumes with them uh, over the break. So now I've gone into college coaching and mentoring. And yep. I was like, I'm going to be at you guys' weddings. You know, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to be there when you name your, you know, your kids, uh, you know, Coach James. And and uh, so, yeah, that's that's. You know, even though I'm not coaching soccer, I'm still coaching young men. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that goes well beyond just coaching. And coaching in itself, uh, young guys with, you know, coming from all different backgrounds is difficult in itself. But what I'm hearing is you, you, not, you weren't just coaching them in the game. You were coaching them in life. And I think that's the ultimate Samaritan when one realizes it's not just that moment that you're impacting. Um, you're impacting from a life. And I think this world would actually be a lot, a much better place if people were impacting the lives of youngsters for life. We don't have that. But I'm curious. Um, I, I remember when my wife's like, hey, our kids need to be in soccer and basketball. So I went to soccer practice the first time and I experienced the same thing you did. And that was a turnoff to me. I looked around, it was nothing but moms. It's like, I feel out. 
I feel like this is the wrong club. <laughs> so I told my wife, you don't have to go. I, I feel so stuck. And she was like, uh, don't you remember my schedule is out? That's all you. So how, how did you actually move past that to get involved? I, I don't know. It's, it's like you, you took them in as your own. And, and, and usually, I, I'd say that's the key part is that um, some of, one of my boys uh, came on the team late our last season. And he stopped me in the parking lot after one, after like early in the season. He said, Coach, I, can I talk to you? And I said, what's that? He said, he said, this is the best team I've ever been on. I said, man, you just, we just, we only had a few practices. He said, no, no, no. He said, I really get how much you care about each one of these guys. And he said, um, he said, you know, some of my coaches, they're yelling at people and they're, there's like clicks on the team and, and they, there's comp, they set up competitions between people. He said, everybody here wants everybody else to do well. And that was what I talked and you know, we would talk about. I said, man, if you if you're selfish or you don't want your teammate to do well, why should you know, like, how do we succeed as a team? And and so it was all about like, like we never had guys upset about not playing. And, and the coaches, the college coaches, I'll tell you, when we were at Disney, we beat the Syracuse team and they got nasty with us. And like they were trying to hurt us and slide tackle and be ugly. My guys didn't say a word. I used to tell guys like don't say anything because if they get upset, you're in their heads. Like, like just put the ball in the goal. And the less you say, the more they, they'll come apart. And so after the game, my guys were cool with these, with the, these guys were upset and they were, they, you know, we were cool with them. And then we saw them before the next game and we were like, Hey guys, like, how'd your last game go? Good luck with this game. And so they were like looking at us like, what? And so they started talking to us. We were playing our next to last game to get into the finals. The Syracuse team was cheering for us. Another team that we had uh, beat showed up and started cheering for us. And one of the coaches walked up to me, one of the college coaches, he said, Coach, what's going on? Why are the teams that you guys beat cheering for your guys? I said, well, one of those teams, does they do want us to win so they can get into the, to the uh, secondary uh, uh, losers bracket championship. <laughs> I said, but... He, but they were like, the coach, I said, but I said, man, we, we teach uh, good um, sportsmanship. And he was like, he said, man, you don't see that. He said, kids don't talk to each other. They treat each other like enemies. And so I would tell the guys, like, it's just a game, you know, and this and this game is like life. And so you treat people the way you want to be treated. And I'd say the highest honor I've ever gotten was that at least three or four times a season, a referee would come up to me after a game and say, coach, can I talk to you? And I'd say, yes, sir. And he'd say, I just want to say watching your team play has been like the highlight of my season. I mean, this would be with different refs. I'd say, what do you mean? They'd say, well, you guys are respectful. They don't, you know, they, they aren't like some of these kids were coach uh, cussing out um, the other team. They were cussing out the refs. Mm -hmm. They're like, your guys are like, yes, sir. No, sir. Your guys are laughing when the other team is trying to like, you know, hurt you or foul you, your guys don't even pay, they don't even respond or they just walk off. And they were like, it's so nice to just see a team that's just like, there's, they said, it's really a function of like the coach. Like if the coach is a jerk, the team is a jerk. Mm. And they were yeah. like, so, you know, so it was for me, I thought, okay, I'm doing something right because we're kicking everybody's butt and we're doing it nicely. You know, we're not, we're not being jerks. We're dominating the league. 
And people can't even be upset with us when, when we beat them because, you know, like we would score and my guys wouldn't have any like crazy celebrations or talk smack. They would just go back and start playing. Wow. And I'll, I'll tell you the biggest, the thing I'm most proud of is that in soccer, and Sam can attest to this, uh, the thing, second most thing I'm most proud of is that when a team gets down a couple goals, they typically give up. And I would tell my boys, you can't win unless you know how to lose. So we would always play older and stronger teams and just get beat in practice, just get beat up. And that's how we got to be better. I was like, you got to know how to lose to win. Mm -hmm. And then when when you're losing, instead of becoming desperate, that's when you do the work. That's when you calm down and just realize that the other team thinks that you're about to come apart. So you have an advantage. And yep. so I cannot tell you how many games we had where we would be down two or three goals, not much time left, and we and we come back and win. I We played a, a, a club team that was coached by a North Georgia College coach, and he was like, he said, you guys never even, you were down by three at half. You never even looked like you were worried. He said, you guys were loose and laughing, and, and you came back and beat us by four. He was like, what, he said, what is going on in your team? And I said, I always tell the boys that this is the most of the game is mental. Everybody at this level can play physically, yep. but the game is mental and you just have to be cool. So when we were in Disney, um, the first game, we beat the hardest team 7-2. The second game, we won literally with five seconds left. Third game, we came back and tied it, which got us to the final with three minutes left. And and uh, that team was trying to like hurt guys and they were just pushing us and being ugly. In the finals, we were down 2-0 at the half. The other team was just talking, just talking massive stuff. You guys are done. You guys are tired, blah, 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 because we played two games the day before. At halftime, my whole speech was, guys, we've been down before. We've seen this. They think we're done. We got 18 boys that can play. You know, you look around your teammates. You know who you can rely on. A team will beat individuals every day of the week. We're going to come back and score four in the second half. We're going to we're going to win this in 40 minutes. We're going to be picking up gold, you know, gold uh, medals. And two minutes, uh, 18 minutes left, down to two zero. We scored four goals in 10 minutes, which is nuts. And then held okay. on to win. And the guys were like, Coach, you weren't joking about scoring four. And I said, Hey, man, you you didn't have to wait until it was 18 minutes left. That's kind of <laughs> got a long time. You know, Spread that out, and then one kid missed a point blank goal to score five. And he said, "Coach, I only missed it because you said four. And he said, "If you said five, <laughs> I would have scored that." <laughs> He's like, "You jinxed me, coach." Hi, this is Sam. I'd like to thank you for listening. We're going to stop right there and resume our conversation next time.